Welcome back, folks. It's time for everyone's favorite part of the week, the Electables Power 5 rankings. Who's up? Who's down? Joining us again is Naveen Nayak, the executive director of Cap Action Fund. Naveen, why don't you kick us off with your number five? So I, I think this is going to surprise, but maybe not. I, I have as my number five, and again, this is like, <clears throat> if if my, my projections of what's going to happen, not like where we are today, correct? That's that's how we that's okay. how we do this. So I, I, I have the vice president. I have Biden at five. I, I think he's overpriced in the market. And uh, I think there's a lot of people who are going to have a better shot at winning the nomination. Interesting. A couple of us had him as our number one last week. So that is, uh, you're going against conventional wisdom. That's why we love you. Uh, Elrod, number five. So my number five is Cory Booker. I think he had a pretty good rollout as far as rollouts are um, are concerned. And of course, as we've discussed before, there's really no right or wrong way in this current environment to roll out your campaign. Um, it's just making sure that you're capitalizing on the media as much as you possibly can. I think Cory had a pretty good day. Um, there were some other events, i.e., I think the Northam <laughs> didn't the, the Northam news come out that day, the day that, that he announced. Yeah. So that was really you know, stomped on him. Kind of stomped on his announcement. Um, but look, Corey's main challenge, I think, is going to figure out what his path. I mean, who his constituents are, who are the that rely, who is that reliable sector of voters in each state, every place he goes, who he can rely on. Is it African American millennials? Is it, you know. Uh, working class voters between the ages of 35 and 55. I don't know who his constituency is. And obviously, he's going to get more votes than just, you know, from only African Americans. But I do think that he and Kamala will probably be be duking it out to an extent for the African American vote or for a sector of the African American vote. So my, um, what I'll be looking for is, is Cory Booker going to use her criminal justice record, which I think, by the way, is more than fine, but is he going to try to use that to attack her and try to siphon off votes? It's going to be very interesting to watch. And I also want to add that Adisu from our campaign is running Corey's campaign. He's very smart. He's very good. He's built a really st- strong operation, and it's going to be fun to see how that, that whole thing goes. So my number five, uh, I've got a tie here. Uh, that's uh, Senator Sherrod Brown from Ohio and uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is about to announce to formally announce her campaign uh, Senator Brown is on a uh, listening tour right now, talking about the importance of work. Uh, and I think both of them play well with uh, a, a, uh, a range of voters. And uh, Brown, Sherrod Brown, uh, having been in the middle of the, in the Midwest um, from an industrial state, uh, I think he's got a, a pretty crisp and coherent message. Elizabeth Warren, I think, has the sharpest message right now of any of the candidates running. She's obviously dealing with some some issues around uh, her um, Native American heritage, and that continues to sort of loom over that campaign. But right now, I would have both of those as my number five. Naveen, number four. I, I got Bernie as my number four. I think, you know, there's no question he starts with a... Um, you know, huge grassroots support. I think a big list, the ability to raise money. He, at least, um, his story. You know, over the last two years, has been a pace setter in terms of uh, driving the policy conversation. Although I think Elizabeth Warren is trying to sort of reclaim that mantle. Um, but I got, I have him. You know, in this context, relatively low because I, you know, I think he benefited immensely uh, from having sort of a one-on-one. Um, 
comparison with uh, Hillary Clinton. No offense to former Governor O'Malley. Um, and who we, by the way, <clears throat> thought our, our biggest challenge was going to be Governor <laughs> O'Malley early on, and that did not happen. Yeah, I mean, I think once, yeah, Bernie, there's clearly a, a, a path for him to energize focus. And I, I just don't see it this time. I, I think there's too many other people who are going to sort of be exciting to the base, who are going to feel fresher. And, you know, uh, he just didn't have to, there wasn't really a lot of, uh, much of a hand put on him last time. And I think it's going to get a little bit, a lot more elbows this time. Yeah, I agree. Um, so num- my number four um, also has an asterisk beside it, and that is Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. Um, I have an asterisk beside his name in that I don't. I think if he does not get in soon and really capitalize on the momentum that he gained in 2018 when he ran for the Senate, his window is closing. So I think if he doesn't get in this quarter, and I think he has said that he will get in. If he's this gonna month, run, he he's going to he's going to do it this month, or he's not going to do it at all. But I think. It's almost too late at this point um, for him to really capitalize on what he built in 2018. If I were him, I would have probably announced in early January and tried to do it as close as I could to his, you know, almost victorious defeat of, of Ted Cruz in, in Texas. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people in the country who still have questions about him. What is he all about? What is his record? He's got those viral videos that have really, um, it's a really smart strategy, and, and those have really taken off. So, and we, he certainly has proven that he can raise money. So the big question is, can he actually take what he did in Texas and apply that to the national level? And that's, again, why I also have an asterisk, because we got to see how the rollout goes. we got to see, um, you know, if he gets in in a timely manner. Um, and we just got to see how the American public responds to him in a more national setting as opposed to just localized in Texas. My number four is Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey. I think he has uh, the potential to put together a very interesting coalition of young voters, um, African-American voters, and um, and also people who are discouraged with the system. Uh, I think he has a record as a reform mayor that he's going to be able to run on. Uh, and a lot of people like his authenticity. So. I uh, I I'm, I think he had a really good rollout uh, the last week or so, and um, I have my 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 expectations for Cory Booker is that he's going to run a pretty solid race. Naveen, number three, uh, I have uh, the senator from Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. Um, again, some of the stuff I said, I think she's going to be formidable. She's clearly going to have the resources. She's got a ton of grassroots support, um, and I think you know for. Uh, a base that is hungry for big ideas. I think she is going to be uh, give them plenty to feast on. I think she's going to be. She's already turned out so many big ideas. And you know, as you guys have said, I, I think she is by far the candidate with the crispest diagnosis of like what's wrong with the country, what are the solutions, and why am I the right person to fix it? And I think that's. Uh, I think that's going to serve her really well. So. So my number three, I'm doing a tie here. I've got Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren both at number three, and I want to just capitalize on something that uh, Naveen just said about Elizabeth Warren. I think something that's very important to watch about her is when she makes a statement on, especially when it comes to income inequality, when she takes a position, when she takes a policy position, it makes big national news and everybody kind of feels like, oh, crap, I've got to follow suit or I've got to have some sort of, I've got to take an element of what she just, like her tax plan that she just put out. I've got to take an element of that and support it. Um, you know, she she drives that agenda, and I think that's a really important quality when you're running for president, especially if you're running against 15 people. 
Bernie, I mean, look, I think to an extent the two of them are going to duke it out over the, you know, the Bernie Sanders, you know, coalition that he built in 2016. Um, I think he's ultimately not going to prevail. I think you'll see him right now. We're seeing early polls that show him, you know, second in the field. But a lot of that is based on name ID. I think when you start putting the two of them next to each other or just really Bernie Sanders on the debate stage with a lot of other progressives, um, more support will go to the other progressives and he will get less support. So I put him at number three now tied with Warren, but I would certainly give her the edge. My number three is former Congressman Beto O'Rourke from Texas. My reasons are he brings a lot of star power to the campaign. I think he's going to be able to attract young voters to his campaign. I think he may eat into Bernie Sanders's uh, coalition uh, and attract a lot of his voters. He has an, a proven ability to raise a lot of money. He raised almost $80 million in a Senate race, over $30 million in one quarter. So he's got a donor base there that he can tap. Um, the question is whether it's in his heart, and I'm not sure. I just realized this is like a field full of Democrats with B's, Beto, <laughs> Booker, right. Brown, Bernie. Yep. Yep. Biden. Biden. <laughs> yep. Naveen, number two. Uh, I've got uh, Kamala Harris is number two. Um, you know, I, I think she, the her appeal, uh, both her story, her personal story, uh, kind of her parents. I don't even think I realized that, you know, both her parents were immigrants. I think that's a, a powerful part of what she's going to be talking about. And I think helps her reach a lot of the progressive base. I also think her, you know, her history, both as a prosecutor, again, at the, um, I think a leg up she's going to have on Cory Booker with uh, reaching out to African American voters is her, you know, her time as uh, in uh, the Howard sorority. I can't remember what sorority she was in, but AKA, right? No, she was a Delta. She was a Delta. Mm-hmm. I just think those kind of built in networks are, are going to matter. And, uh, you know, I think she's going to feel like the right balance for a lot of people of being fresh but uh, stable. Yeah, and I I just want to say um, something in addition to what you just said, Naveen, which is I think – I'm sorry to interrupt. I was wrong. She is an AKA. Oh. My bad. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Never right, question right, me. Right, Never right, question okay. me. I make one mistake a day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, if you are able to have a solid, reliable group of voters wherever you go, and if obviously there will be members of her sorority who don't support her, but she could probably rely on a good chunk of those um, sorority members every state she goes. The AKA sorority has deep roots across the country. That is a very significant thing in this kind of primary. If you And I, and I ask that when I've talked to several other potential presidential candidates, especially those who are you know, right now polling in the single digits, who, who are your reliable constituents that you can go to no matter where you go? Um, is it, we asked John Hickenlooper this, the former governor of Colorado, is it, you know, millennials who brew their own beer because he's supported craft <laughs> yeah, breweries, sure. you know, like who are who is that reliable? Even if it's only a fraction of, of the vote in that state, that's a group that you can always rely on. And she's going to have many different yeah, tri- groups. Tribalism that- matters in politics. And I don't know that, there, you know, I wasn't in a sorority or in a frat, but like, I don't know that there's anything more tribal than sort of the brotherhood and sisterhood of that experience. And I think a lot of people are going to be tapped to be volunteers and activists and contributors in ways that, uh, you know, is helpful. It's a built-in network. 
Um, so my number three is uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. Um, you know, I still kind of have different mixed feelings about him because I think that right now, I mean, obviously the polls are showing him on top. Um, but I also think that he will, once he gets into the race, just as anybody does, you might be polling really high. And then once you actually become a candidate, your status starts to decline a little bit. However, I think one of the bonus points that he has going for him um, that I expect will probably stay relatively consistent throughout this primary is that a lot of Democratic primary voters see him as being the most electable against Trump. And they've made it very clear in some of the early polls that we've seen that electability in the general election is something they feel very strongly about. Now, I think once you start seeing more candidates on the debate stage, you will say, well, Joe Biden is not the only person who can beat Trump. And I certainly don't believe that he's the only candidate who can beat Trump. I think a lot of these guys running can beat Trump. But I think Joe Biden does have an advantage right now because poll after poll shows him as being one of the only candidates running who primary voters see is being able to more than likely beat Trump. So I think that's a huge advantage that he has in this in this current climate. My number two is Senator Kamala Harris from California. I think she's just demonstrated more than anyone else in in the field right now the ability to 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 run and execute a top notch campaign. And we've gone over her background and um, you know some of the some of the ways in which um, her uh, you know her relationships with different groups are going to help her in particular states. Uh, her record as a prosecutor, I think, is appealing to some. It also comes with some some baggage that she's had to explain. Uh, but I just have been impressed with her rollout. It really went on for about a week. Uh, no real gaffes on her part. I think she's going to play well in uh, Nevada, which is an early primary state. She's obviously uh, uh, comes from the delegate-rich state of California. And then uh, South, South Carolina, she'll uh, do well. And I think the question mark is how she plays in, in Iowa and New Hampshire. But right now, she's my number two. She was uh, my number two last week. She remains my number two. Now for numero uno, Naveen. Drum roll, please. Uh, I think this is going to surprise, but I got Beto at number one. Uh, I I just think... Um, you know, a I don't I don't think there's anyone who comes close to being able to do what he could do in this race, which is sort of dominate media attention and do it in a way that is really sort of made for the moment. I just don't see anyone else being able to do that. I think uh, you know I don't know where this saying came from, but the notion that sort of Republicans fall in line and Democrats fall in love, and I think uh, he has the most potential. I think to you know, make Democrats swoon and make them, you know, feel really good about what the country could be, where the country could go, and do it in a in a way that I think is appealing and and kind of embracing. I actually think, and this is sort of <clears throat> why I uh, maybe, if you noticed, conspicuously absent from my list is uh, Senator Cory Booker, and, and I think if Beto runs, I think uh, he creates a huge problem for Booker because I think they're both sort of trying to claim that hopeful, optimistic lane. And I just think Beto is going to have uh, a lot more luck sort of getting traction because of, you know, the way he moves in the world and how effective he is at drawing attention. Smart analysis. Um, my number one choice is Kamala. Um, I think that she, you know, for all the reasons we mentioned, strong rollout, strong team, um, she's just got a real 
ability to appeal across the board to many different groups, to many different sectors, to men, women, old, young. Um, and I think the more we see of Kamala, the more we love her. Uh, her CNN ta- town hall ratings were out the roof. Um, she is on fire. And I just think that for the reasons that you mentioned, Beto, I mean, I think that she has a real ability to inspire and connect, but she also has a real level of seriousness about her and just enough experience, not too much experience where you think, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're too establishment. I want somebody who's newer and fresher. She's, she's right at that right level that um, I think is it's something that Democratic primary voters are looking for. And I think the more people see of Kamala, the more support and votes she's going to attract. So my number one is former Vice President Joe Biden from Delaware, former senator from Delaware. And here's why, because I think he has the ability to put together uh, the the broadest coalition of voters right now. And that me and that includes African-American voters, which I think he's going to do extremely well with. I think he has a he has a strong relationship with African-American voters uh, as VP to to uh, uh, President Obama. I think uh, the LGBTQ LGBTQ uh, community uh, remembers him taking uh, being the first one out on on supporting gay marriage. Uh, if your issue is uh, gun safety, he led the charge following Sandy Hook. Older voters are going to repeal to uh, I think are going to uh, re- are going to um, like Joe Biden. He is older. But I don't think age is going to be a huge issue for, for him because I, I think he comes across as young and vibrant. Um, and progressive voters and younger voters who sort of reminisce about the time in which Obama was president. So I think he has an ability to bring uh, put together the broadest coalition. Uh, the question for, I think, everyone is, again, like Beto, is it in his heart? Uh, does he really want this after you know all of the years of service he's devoted to this country? Um, and then also just, you know, going through the rigors of the campaign, you know, going five events a day in Iowa, flying to New Hampshire, South Carolina, all of that stuff. I have no doubt he's up to it. But again, you know, if it's not in your gut, if it's not in your heart, it's hard to make it through those really challenging days, which he will have. He's, you know, he has extremely high favorable numbers within the party. He has high favorable numbers in this country. But that all changes when you become a candidate. So, um, but right now, he's the person I'd put my money on, and um, we'll see what happens. We're, I, we're, I think we're hearing maybe in the next couple weeks he, he might make an announcement, but um, who knows? I think everyone seems to be in the next couple weeks. <laughs> We've got to hurry up. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, uh, Naveen, thank you so much. I love that this is memorialized. I can't wait to see where it all looks. Yeah, yeah, and as we tell, we we look. <laughs> we tell our friends on the campaigns that don't take this as per- don't take this personally. The rankings are going to change. It's like the you know the AP basketball ranking. You're going to be up. You're going to be down. We're trying to do this as uh, as honestly as we can. Uh, so don't take it personally. Um, but uh, Naveen, again, thanks so much for coming in, giving us uh, a little insight into uh, the world of polling and analytics. Great to be here, guys. Thank you, Naveen. And thank you for listening to to this episode of The Electables, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys.